There we go. All right. Okay. Now we're officially recording for the second Perfect. time. Uh, all right. Welcome back, everybody. We are back at you. Sorry we're a couple days late. Uh, I was traveling. Nick was traveling. And uh, those are just great excuses for us to use. So we apologize. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we're going to release this one as soon as we're done recording and then uh, get back on our normal schedule. So thanks for the patience there. Uh, yeah, I, I just wrapped up a, uh, long trip, a tournament and just like a three week, uh, stint back East and, uh, Rob, uh, you're at home, correct? Yep. Yep. Right on. And right Nick, uh, go ahead, Rob. Just right in the middle of the hottest summer we've ever had. So just, it's, it's, it's been pretty hot here every day. I think we've had 43 days over 110 degrees. So pretty nice. I- Dude, I was wondering that. I know we smashed the record. It was like 32, and I hadn't heard an updated count. That's like impossible to wrap your mind around. 40-some days of north of 110 degrees. Like consecutive, too, right? Yeah, I think a dozen days over 115 this year. (laughs) That's gross. Enough of the weather. What are you doing, Nick? Oh, I'm just hanging out down here in my nephew's dungeon of a basement bedroom um, at my sister's house. We we finally were able to load up the the majestic, the so majestic motorhome and uh, head north. And we've had a little bit of an adventure, but uh, we're all still alive, barely, and we are here. Lovely Casper, Wyoming. Man, I'm stoked nice. that uh, we're getting to talk to you on your trip, man. Thanks for uh, you know making the time and uh, you know make, making it happen. But how was the the actual road trip up there? So for the for the listeners, I know most of you know, but Nick has got three little ones, uh, ranging from how old is Claire? Six? Yes, seven. Yeah, so we got seven. a seven, a five, and a thirteen month old. <laughs> Dude, what could go wrong, right? And then you know I'll quickly backtrack because I think we've told this before a couple times, but I. I bought a used rental motorhome because I'm like the world's biggest cheapskate. And I thought I saw tremendous value in this this thing. And so I, I took a red-eye flight to Orlando and then bombed back by myself straight home from Orlando to Phoenix, only to watch my entire family go down in flames with COVID and uh, spent four weeks on the sidelines dealing with all of the illness and all that. And uh, so now we're finally healthy enough to make a stab at it. And, uh, you know, the motorhome performed pretty well, but uh, it, it seemed like for whatever reason, man, when I drove it from Florida, it was flawless. And this drive up, boy, it uh, it got tested in ways that uh, I guess I didn't test it when it was just me. But uh, we, we departed on Saturday, I think it was. And, uh, you know, we just talked about how hot it was. Dude, Saturday's high was like 116. And, uh, you know, we're, we were going up from Phoenix to Flagstaff. That's the first, you know, leg of the trip. And, you know, just foolishly, I foreshadowed it. I told my wife, I was like, you know, we didn't get away from the house early because there's still just all those last minute preparations. And as we're cruising on the freeway, I told her, man, like only a fool would be trying to drive up I-17 on a Saturday afternoon with the, you know, the high of 116. Um, hopefully that's just a notorious stretch of interstate that has problems. And sure enough, dude, my, uh, my phone, the Google maps was like, uh, this route is going to take you like five hours to get to Flagstaff instead of the normal two hours and 20 minutes. And I was like, what? And I was already committed. I was past the point of no return where I would like take a different route up there. And we got stuck in some of the most egregious, like, interstate gridlock hardly moving traffic because i guess there was an accident so for 30 miles we crawled dude we crawled up a six percent incline you know that first good climb out of black canyon city going to sunset point yeah dude you gain like i don't know probably 3500 or 4000 feet in elevation over a pretty short period of time and so in this motorhome the uh air conditioner you know you have like a roof mount unit and then you have the the trucks, the chassis air conditioner and uh, the roof mounted unit, dude. I think it just kept getting hot because it's 116 degrees. Right. And uh, so the generator kept kicking off. So for uh, like three hours, we're stuck in this traffic jam and the uh, the cab of the motorhome just starts getting hot, dude. And we've got little kids. And then my motorhome started overheating. 
So we had to turn yeah. that air conditioner off. I got pretty scared. I'm not going to lie, dude. We like stripped the baby down to his diaper. I took my shirt off. I had my two younger kids riding in the shotgun seat. So at least there'd be a fan blowing on them. It was intense. Suffice to say that like when we finally broke through that, like the the feeling of relief was epic, but I'm sure it cost me like five years of my life in stress. And that was the beginning of what was supposed to be a 16 hour drive. So it was a, it was a great start. Wow. So where, where did you land that night then? So dude, we, uh, we limped into Flagstaff and I was so defeated. I told my wife, I was like, screw it. Like, let's just wave the white flag. Like it's over. And she was, she, dude, I was just so spent. I was completely spent. And she's like, no, don't be a wimp. Like man up. I'm going to go take a nap while you drive. (laughs) So she didn't quite take a nap, but, uh, everyone settled down at that point. And uh, I actually made it to Moab, dude. I cruised into Moab at like 1am and, uh, I probably could have kept going. That's like the halfway point. But, uh, dude, no one was sleeping very well. And uh, we broke all sorts of traffic laws re- regarding seatbelts and standing up. But we were just desperate, man. I got my chihuahua and three kids. And it was just, we were the hot mess express the whole way. But uh, we got to Moab, <laughs> slept like 90 minutes next to a bunch of truckers on the side of the road. And then just got up and kept rolling, dude. And we made it, made it the next day at like two o'clock in the afternoon. So we survived it and it was an adventure. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That that drive out of Flagstaff or into Flagstaff was just enough to freak me out. So it has an overheated sense. And I think it was just, you know, it was a lot of load on it. And uh, so far so good otherwise, but we'll see, man. I, don't, I had these like illusions of us being one of those like Instagram families that's doing van life and making it look all effortless. And like within the first hour and a half, I was like, screw this, man. I am like a city slicker to the max. Like put me back in a house with AC and I'll call it good. <laughs> yeah. An hour and a half in your, your shirt's already off, bro. <laughs> dude, people were going by us. Dude, you should have saw their faces. I've got my shirt off and then I've got a seven and a five-year-old sitting in the passenger front seat buckled in. <laughs> Is that just not one of the most kind of like hillbilly things in the world to drive a vehicle without a shirt on? Dude, if and then in a motorhome, no less. I feel like I was in that Vegas vacation or whichever one of those vacation movies where his like super <laughs> redneck brother-in-law comes and stays in his RV in his drive. Dude, it felt exactly like that guy. It's beautiful. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be a great trip for you, man. But uh, yeah, that's just uh, you got to start out with some drama. Uh capital d drama (laughs) it's hilarious well way to pull through dude and it's cool that uh i mean honestly if you guys were in a vehicle and you got off to like a regular car and got off to a start like that you're not making it to moab dude right no chance you know you're you're stopping in flagstaff so it's it is cool you were able to kind of get the kids down a little bit and uh you know you're right, man. When you're you're basically just driving an enormous bathroom on wheels. And so, man, that, that tank filled up real fast. But the beauty of that is, is that you never stop, right? Like you're just True. rolling, like someone's doing their thing and you're just still driving. Like you only stop for gas. So that part of it's cool. How much fuel does that thing hold? Uh, dude, I, it's like a, I don't know, like a giant tank, like 50 or 60 gallons. And it gets the fuel efficiency of like a Toyota Prius. You know, I think it's oh, probably I'm getting sure. about three miles a gallon going <laughs> uphill 70 miles an hour with 6,000 gallons of urine in the tank. So it's a it's a real fuel efficient craft. <laughs> oh, nice. man. Right on. Well, Rob, dude, I'm sure what you're up to has not been that intense, dude. Yeah, try and back the, that up. <laughs> what's going on your way? Yeah, I, yeah, I got nothing, man. It's, uh, <laughs> everything is slow here typical summer middle of summer type deal um that's i really have nothing going other than hiking or mountain biking early in the morning and an occasional guide trip but they're far and few between this time of year and that's to be expected you know yeah um you haven't got out and smashed any stripers lately man you know we did it we did a trip at pleasant last week and the stripers made a no-show i mean they were completely yeah we couldn't find them guys are catching them at night from what i understand what i've seen Um, too yeah yeah but that morning bite we had going is gone uh excuse me um the largemouth bite was all right though um we ended up catching a handful of decent largemouth so that's cool excuse me all choked up yeah well 
he uh <laughs> Rob, really wash down that donut, man. Come on now. I know it's early no in kidding. Phoenix, but you must have got like a bear claw sideways or something. Yeah, apple fritter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, I saw on Facebook somebody uh somebody put a hurting on those stripers at night and they they obviously kept like every single one of them and they had no yeah. less than like 40 or 50 fish. And all I can think of when I see pictures like that is like, not me, man. I am not standing with a fillet knife for 14 hours cleaning that many fish. Like the two or three that I kept with my kids, granted, I suck yeah. at it and I'm super rusty. It's like, oh, I would rather do a million other things than clean that many. And stripers are scaly and they poke you and they're just, they're just not, it's not like you're filleting a rainbow trout that has like no spines on it. Good point. That's one of the biggest reasons I love catch and release. You don't have to, you come home, put the boat away. You're not dealing with <laughs> you're done. It blows yeah. my mind that people will do that, but you know, I can see a few of them, but yeah, not ours. And really. like, don't get me wrong. I love to eat fish. Like I'm all about that me life, too. but like, I'm not committed. And maybe it's because I've got this circus behind me all the time. So there's so much other work going on behind the scenes that it's like the last thing I want to do is fillet a fish. But I saw that. And I was just like, well, better them than me. I should be friends with them so I can have a fish taco that I didn't have to prepare. Yeah, that's a lot of mercury. No kidding. I wanted to be a smart ass and comment on that and be like, dude, you could like boil those things down and make a thousand thermometers and probably get some <laughs> of your money back because these things are like, you could see the eyes of them were red because it was 140 degrees because all the mercury was in their head. But I don't know. It's their choice. Yeah, just fish laying out when it's 100 plus degrees and oh. fish is laying there getting put. It, it doesn't look appealing to me, dude. Like, <laughs> I want to see him in a cooler. I want to see him in a cooler on ice at least, right? Yeah, dude. You're oh, not getting yeah. down on some, you know, boat side sushi with those or anything? What a wimp. Yeah. <laughs> we had fish this yeah. week. So, so, uh, and we'll get into the tournament here in a little bit, but, uh, that we were up at, uh, Sandusky, Ohio on Lake Erie and we're pre fishing and, um, Dude, that's one of the places where you catch these major mixed bags, right? And uh, uh -huh. I caught a fair amount of walleye in practice. And every one you catch in practice, you're like, ah, should I keep it and feed the guys? No, and you just throw it back <laughs> just for whatever. Same reason you said, Nick, you know, and, and you get off yeah. the water at 7, 8 o'clock. You don't want to be filleting fish and stuff, dude. But, uh, dude, so one day we got off the water and uh, Roy is like, yeah, I got fish for us to eat, man. I kept some. And I was like, sweet walleye, huh? And he's like, no, white bass. And uh, oh. we're like, dang, <laughs> you know, we were over there with walleye, but he he kept a bunch of, he got into some white bass up for somehow cranking or something. And uh, he just kept a bunch of them and cleaned them and, and made fish tacos and they were great, man. But what a nice uh, guy. Yeah, that was, it was cool of him to do, but I was excited to have some walleye. And then it was like, no white bass, same type of fish you can get in, uh, in the lower 48, you know, all, all over the, all over the country. Yeah. Dude, it's is funny. That the it, same white bass we, is that the same white bass we have here, Josh? Yeah, actually, yes. Yep. Really? I believe they just, so. Okay. They just grow up, right? They probably get quite a bit bigger over there because we don't get whites very big in Arizona, I don't think. Well, dude, and here's you got me wondering, Rob and Nick, when you asked that, dude, like uh, they could have been white perch because the white perch looks so much like white bass. I've mm. even mistaked them for each other before. Like, so Nick, the, the white bass get to a certain size and then you get into the hybrid, the wipers, right. they get huge, dude. And they're all over Texas, Oklahoma, Tennessee. But, uh, dude, and it's possible they were even white perch that we ate. Um, mm. I never saw them. I think, they were already... they... I think they're white perch there. I could be wrong, though. But, that makes sense then. I mean, he called them white bass, but they were already fried up fillets by the time I saw them, dude. So I don't know what chicken they, they fingers at that point, fish nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> they could have been, uh, yeah, they could have been carp or something, dude. Who knows? But they were good. Uh, have you guys ever random rabbit hole, but have you guys ever stumbled into walleye in any of the Salt River chain lakes? I know that like once every blue moon, a while, a walleye will come out of Canyon and I think maybe Apache. Have you guys ever caught one? Years ago, I caught a, I caught a six and a half out of Apache probably 25 years ago. Are you serious? Um, That's a tough. Yep. And then, wow. And then uh, I've had a few times at Canyon where you're throwing a crankbait or a jerkbait and you'll run into a big school of them and whack them. But it's, uh, it's been years. I, I'd be really surprised if they exist in those lakes anymore. But I could be wrong. Who knows? 
Yeah. Same as same as Rob in my experience. I'd run into I never got into a school, but I've caught a couple out of Canyon and Saguaro. But Apache was the one where like I, I, I remember a couple times I'd catch a few in a day. But it's been seven or eight years at least since I uh, have seen one. So, so that um, golden algae probably put a hurting on them, too. Yeah, yeah. Is it possible that they don't reproduce in, in our lakes? I remember hearing hmm. something about that. Is that possible, Rob? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they do. I mean, they, they would, they'd be all over those lakes if they did. Um, mm-hmm. it, yeah. it was really funny. I mean, I, I don't make, I'm not making fun of these folks because I understand what they were doing, but there was a southwestern walleye group. <laughs> yeah, like I remember club, that, dude. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, and most of them were guys from the Midwest transplanted out here and they wanted to do the, go walleye fishing, right? Yeah. And those guys, I don't know if they could ever go out and, and catch them on purpose. Like, they were one of the hardest fish to target. And I just, I kind of attribute it to the way these lakes are, big, deep canyon lakes, and those fish just get away. Like they mm-hmm. just, it's not like a, not like a big natural lake in the Midwest where, you know, average depth is 15 foot or whatever, you know, just not a very deep lake where you, you'll, you can find them. You just, those fish here, I think they would just suspend and, and every once in a while they'd pull up on a bank and you'd catch them, but that's about the only time you could. And it was never like, Hey, let's go walleye fishing and catch them. It just didn't happen. Yeah. So just random and nomadic. Yeah. That group kind of went away just cause I mean, I know they tried really hard to be hardcore walleye guys out here and it just, it just wasn't a thing. So I do remember those guys, Rob. And, and yeah, to begin yeah. with, they're already fishing for a small population of fish in this. It, it was a true needle in a haystack. Yep. Yep. Definitely. So I bet you they crushed smallmouth on Apache chasing walleyes. <laughs> yeah. That's a nice little side, side deal. That's cool. Yep. Dude, I got distracted here. My bad. My dog. Have you ever seen a dog walk in circles to try and find somewhere to lay down? My dog has been walking in circles for like 15 minutes. I think she's going to puke because she's so dizzy. <laughs> like, Sorry, <laughs> random sidebar, but my chihuahua is freaking out. I don't know what's going on. But she is like, she is, she's looking for walleye and canyon, I think is what's going on, dude. She heard you say that they're <laughs> yeah. hard to find, so she's just going right down the main channel. That unfamiliar environment of uh, of their house, man dude why we brought her i don't even know that was just the next layer it's like how did the damn dog get in here like anyone else we almost brought our betas too it's like the whole mcmurray clan rolling deep but who's gonna watch the fish i think they take care of themselves don't they no i'm just kidding (laughs) we uh (laughs) dude we laughed like them dude exactly they're now part of the city of phoenix uh sewer (laughs) system they're with all the other cichlids and aquarium fish that got flushed this week Dude, we were going to bring them, and then our motorhome was 4,000 degrees, and we, my wife and I started laughing. Like, they would be boiling back there. Like, there would be bubbles from the hot water. <laughs> uh, we could have had them for a snack, though, but my bad. That was a horrible interruption, but I couldn't focus on the fact that my, I thought she was going to do her business. Like, oh, that would be a great thing to talk about, but it's over, so that's that. Hey, hey, Josh, I, I don't know if you guys are ready to get into it or not, but um, we'd love to talk about your tournament. I I spoke with a couple of our listeners uh, over the last month or so, and they showed quite a bit of disappointment in the fact that we kind of glazed over your last third place finish up on um, uh, Green Bay, yeah. right? Sturgeon yeah. Bay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Sturgeon Josh Bay. Josh is just too humble, man. We, we try and tickle it out of him, and he's just, he defers, man. Yep. So I think we need to do uh, this one. Let's this corner one. him. Yep. We'll pressure him, Rob. Yep. Yep. So I'm all get about ready it. to talk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. So. Yeah. Well, I'll break it down real quick. And there, you know, just because, uh, you know, one thing, and, and the listeners probably are right, and I apologize, but like, um, I've definitely found like, um, and I'll do this sometimes in seminars, man. Like, I'll, I'll get up and do a seminar for like a audience that I've spoken to before, and uh, sometimes just telling the tournament story. Uh, there's a lot of good lessons in it. And, and when I retell it, I'll even things will click and I'll be like, oh yeah, you know, that was, that was really important. And rather than just getting up and saying, you know, I caught him on this and uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, if you, if you tell the story, uh, you get some good lessons out of it. So uh, yeah, I'll kind of just uh, run through practice real quick. I'll, I'll break down what the lake was like and then the tournament. And I'll tell you guys what I, what I regret doing, what I'm, I'm glad I did. Nice. I don't mean to I don't mean to interrupt you, Josh, but like 
one of my biggest questions about your practice is um, what are your initial thoughts going there? Had you ever fished there before? And what, I mean, from what, if I remember talking to you prior to the tournament, you're like, I'm going to gamble and I'm going to run as far as I have to. And that didn't happen. So totally. Go, yeah. Go, yeah. Go into your pre-fish for us then. Cool. Yeah. So that's, that's a good question, man. The way I'll break down the fishery first. So we were on Lake Erie, which I fished Erie before, but I fished it a uh, ways away from where we were at. You know, I mean, a lake like that, it's so massive, man. It's hundreds of miles long. And, um, you know, there are, are X amount of places where tournaments will typically go out of. And this tournament was actually originally scheduled to go out of Detroit uh, on St. Clair. And with COVID, with there was we had a 200-boat field. And the state of Michigan, I think, had instituted a maximum of 100 boats or something like that after it was already scheduled. So they moved us to Sandusky, Ohio, which I've never fished. So that's like, man, it's kind of the belly of the beast of Erie, you know? So people... A lot of people, tournament anglers kind of cringe when they, when you talk about Sandusky because it's very exposed. I mean, on a south wind, it's protected because that's the direction the kind of the bank is facing. And, you know, you could run the bank and fish the bank on a south wind, but any other wind direction, especially a north or a northeast, it's got 200 miles to build. And literally, you know, a, a 10 mile an hour wind that blows across Lake Erie by the time it gets to the mouth of the bay that you go out of. I mean, dude, it's four or five foot waves and, and it's not even windy, you know? So, uh, a lot of people are like, dang Sandusky, but it was, and, and here's the, so, so you've got Lake Erie in play. If you wanted to get crazy, as long as you stayed in American water, you were allowed to run all the way up to St. Clair, which is like the top smallmouth fishery in the world, you know? So you got that going for you. But, uh, dude, it's 85 miles to get to the middle of St. Clair. And it's not an 85-mile. Like, I've run 70 miles before in a tournament, 80 miles before in a tournament on, like, tidal tidal fisheries down south. But, dude, like, in a lot of those situations, they have what's called the intercoastal waterway. And I know Nick has been in the intercoastal with me um, Mm -hmm. before at a tournament in Sabine. It's like, it's just a straight drag strip, right? You'll never get waves. And it's just a drag strip, and it's at sea level. So you just, you run 70 the whole way, and it's not that big of a deal. But, dude, running that far across Lake Erie, I mean, you're going to have to run through you know, three to eight foot waves, no matter what the day is almost the entire way. So it was an option to go to St. Clair, but it it was, it was a risk too. So, and dude, would any of your fish survive the ride back in the live well for 80 miles going off of five foot jumps? Dude, somehow (laughs) they did. Like the guys did a good job of taking care of their fish. Like, you know, some of the things that, you know, one big problem when you're in waves like that is you lose water out of your live well. It Uh seeps out of the top. Um, it comes out of your overflow drain cause it's sloshing back and forth. So you've got to plug those. And then a really popular thing a lot of people do is they've been, what guys have been doing is they cut up, you know, those pool, those pool floaties, those pool noodles. Okay. You cut those up in little strips that fit in your live well. So then they pad the top of their live well also. So when the mm-hmm. fish are bouncing up and down, their heads aren't banging the lid. I was like trying to envision strapping a little helmet on them or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just knock all the scales off of them and yeah. feed them, beat their brains out, you know. But so, so, so yeah. if you if you do those things, man, you know they'll live. I mean, I'm not saying no fish died, but it wasn't like right. a. Uh, high mortality rate or anything like that the guys seem to do a good job with that but long story short um st Clair was tempting but uh erie i mean there are some big fish that live right there man i mean it's a great lake it's got gobies in it and uh my second day of practice i stayed close and saw a couple big ones like my first day of practice i ran up close to st Clair at the mouth of the detroit river and i had like I had a lot of bites and I had like not a big bag, but like 18 pounds. And I felt like that was a good area that I could go cash a check. If I, if I didn't find anything else, I could make it there. It was about a 50 mile run. I could make it there, catch 17 or 18 pounds and get back. But, uh, and I had honestly 30, 40 bites that day. So the next day I stayed close right there near the bay. Um, there's some islands out in front of Sandusky Bay and, and you look at them on a map, 
and you're like, oh, look at those little islands. I'll just fish them all in a couple hours and <laughs> figure out what's going on. And then you get on the water and like the islands are like three miles across, you know, and, and uh, they're huge, man. So it, it took a while to break it down. But that day I only had like maybe I can't remember the exact amount of bites, like five or something. But they were they were toads, man. I mean, they're all good ones, really solid fish, like the smallest one probably being um smallest one probably being like three and a half and 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 uh a few four and a halfs you know so it was like wow the quality is here if you can just figure out how to get five you could have a great tournament and not kill yourself running so that's what i ended up doing you know and uh, a couple of my buddies did as well man i know you know justin the eventual eventual winner um we talk a lot you know during practice and stuff and uh you know, he was doing the same thing. He was actually doing it the day before. He had called it before the tournament even started. He's like, man, it can be one right here. And uh, so I just stayed close, man, and tried to f- find every little detail I could um, in the areas I was fishing. Because they were getting pounded. There were a lot of guys that wanted to do the same thing. And we were limited to U.S. waters only. We couldn't cross the border. The best islands are across the border. But uh. we're, so we're fishing Tier 2, Tier 3 stuff on the u.s side but that's all we had so you know you know you're going to be sharing a shoal or a reef or the side of an island with 20 other guys you've got to know the exact sweet spots you know that the uh the fish will have and you have to have a lot of them too like you've got to have a you got to try to have more places too than than everyone else was the uh, canada restriction a covid thing or is that just a standard um tournament protocol not crossing over thing yeah, to straight up COVID thing. Like typically, okay. um, there's an island. You guys have probably even heard of it just because it's so famous in the bass fishing world. But Peely Island, uh, that is on the Canadian side within reach out of Sandusky. It's like a 25 mile run from Sandusky. And if you look historically at uh, tournaments out of there, dude, I bet uh, 80 or 90 percent of the tournaments out of Sandusky are one off Peely. But it was we. It was funny. We were sitting there fishing, staring at it, but we couldn't go out there. Like it was such a big <laughs> island, you could see it. But uh, you know, and you just know, like, damn, that's the promised land. And the the reason for that, guys, is it's in the it's more in the middle of the lake, and there's more current. Mm. So you put like a heavier weight on and cast as far as you can to touch it. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> man. Just kidding. <laughs> I, I was only a few miles short, but uh, perfect. You know, I was out as far as I could be. Like the the furthest out islands where the most current is definitely where the most fish were at. Is that and, current uh, a result of just the wind building up or is that actually like moving water current? Well, it depends. It definitely, the wind definitely makes current in all directions for mm-hmm. sure. But there is a natural current going okay. through the lakes. You know, it starts up above, um, you know, I guess, what is it? Superior, then Huron, then Erie, then, so, uh, no, Superior michigan here on i'm probably off but superior michigan here on erie and then ontario and then okay. out to the ocean does that make okay. sense I think uh, so. dude that geography good, right? is not my strength you could you could have told me that there was two great lakes and i'd be like oh uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so but it's mind-boggling to think that uh um that massive amount of water there's still just a detectable flow of it fine in the ocean. And now that I talk through that, it does kind of make sense, but it's still just mind boggling to think that that huge volume of water is just boogieing on it's down into the current. ocean. If you ever get out there on a calm day, you know, you're out there fishing out in the middle of the lake and you don't really notice that much current, but then you get near a buoy and dude, uh, there's water ripping around it, you know, and it's wow. like, Oh, you know, it's just hard to, hard to, understand that when you're just out floating around in the middle of nowhere and you don't see that visible you have no reference point Uh exactly i think yeah i think someone said that the water in st Clair changes every once every week the amount of water in st Clair is coming out of there in a week that's mind-blowing wow that's a cool stat st Clair. if you get on st Clair and you i mean you get in the middle you can't see land basically um and if you look on a map and compare that to Erie, it's just like a pimple. It's, <laughs> it's crazy how much water it is. It's mind-blowing. And here's yeah. one other weird fact about the Great Lakes right now is they're high. They're all like two uh-huh. feet high, which is mind-blowing that a Great Lake could be two feet high. Yeah. Yeah. Snowpack, obviously. 
I don't know, dude. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's how how ninety how most of the that water levels go up on most lakes around the country. But uh, it's really, you know, a lot of the structures that they build, like on reservoirs down south, they build like floating docks yeah. and floating marinas, and the boat ramps are they work whether the water's ten feet high or thirty feet low. But up there, everything's just built the way it is. So, dude, a lot of the boat ramps and stuff, like the water's like up to the tippy top of the boat ramp. It's really weird. People have like uh. built their houses and stuff and the, the water's close to the top Ooh. of the seawalls and stuff it's really weird man they have all state exactly exactly well geez dude so yeah so you had a good enough practice close to the sorry rob i think we're going the same direction though but good enough practice close to the um the takeoff so that was just out of the gate you knew that was what you're gonna do Pretty much. I mean, after that second day, it was like, well, you know, I was fighting it. I was like, man, I could go up to St. Clair and my roommates are going up to St. Clair and catching them. And uh, it's in the back of my mind. And I try not to I'll never say never to anything in, in a tournament situation, you know, but I was really it made more sense to stay close with what I had seen. So, I, you know, I went as far as even like the last day I ended up. They told us if we had a really, really bad wind day, they would hold us in Sandusky Bay. So I spent mm-hmm. an entire day fishing for largemouth in Sandusky Bay in case they did that. Uh, I would be like prepared for that too. So, um, you know, I, I built the How'd whole practice. Go? I mean, dude, they're easy to catch in there. They're just not, they just don't hold a candle to the smallmouth. you know, like there were some guys that went and did that the entire time and a couple got checks and a couple didn't, but, uh, a great bag of largemouth out of the bay is like 15 pounds. And, mm, um, right. I mean, dude, that's, that's not not a great bag of smallmouth, honestly. So it, it they're in there and they actually have largemouth only tournaments up there just for the guys that don't want to go kill themselves out in the middle of the lake. You know they have circuits up there, which is a cool concept. I def, because if it you is. just if you sign up for the local tournament and you go largemouth fishing, you're not making money. Period. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, I mean the largemouth are, are a legit deal up there, but it was a complete backup thing and. um you know, at the end of my tournament story, I'll go back into the largemouth a little bit. But, uh, you know, so, yeah, that was what I was going to do, man. And the first day of the tournament went really well. I mean, the first stop of the day, my the first morning, the first stop of the day, my f- two minutes into fishing, my first fish was a 5'11", 5'11 out. This day's going to suck. It was all right, dude. It happened so fast. I just threw it in the live well, didn't look at it, didn't think about it. I was like, boom, you know, and then, uh, um, I knew I was only going to be fishing for like five to seven bites a day and I got lucky and caught three more early. So, I mean, I had four fish in the first hour, hour and a half. And uh, the rest of the day, I just, you know, was able to bop around fish for like big single fish. I wasn't ever fishing for a school, but, um, ended up, you know, and ended up with like, uh, with, I was in the lead. I had 22, uh, 22 something, 22, eight or something like that. And, um, all of them came on a drop shot. I was just drop shotting a max scent flatworm. Um, the smallmouth bait everyone in the world is using right now. It's, it works extremely well. And, uh, you know, fish. what's that? If they can get it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're, they're hard to find right now, man. They're just sold out because they're working so well, but, um, and just fishing all that, that rock irregularity stuff I found in practice, you know, just hopping from one to the next, I'd, I'd pull up to a little rock pile or a boulder or a, a rough spot on the bottom and pan around with live scope. And, uh, you know, if I saw, if I saw something, I'd pitch to it or drop on it. And if I didn't, I'd just keep moving around, man. And, and the live scope was a really huge deal too. Like it, it dominated this tournament. Was there a key depth, Josh, or were they just you would just find them on li- live scope somewhere and, and cast to them. Was it pretty I, random or was it? I wanted to go deeper, but the well, there was that part of Erie gets really bad algae blooms. And I think the algae comes off the islands. Cause like you go to other parts of the lake and a lot of times you don't see a ton of algae. It's clear, but you only had about three foot visibility with the algae on, in the good water around there. So huh. like, me personally, I didn't feel like I had much confidence much deeper than 20 feet. So I was like 10 to 20 feet, you know, uh, oh, 15 to 20 it. was the key. Yeah. But it, you know, yeah, look, you, a lot of people probably would imagine you're out a lot deeper out in the middle of Lake Erie, yeah. but, um, the, you know, the sunlight only penetrates down so far. And when you have three foot visibility or less, it's hard to catch fish, um, in 
30, 40 feet. And this lake, guys, has an unbelievable amount of drum in it. Uh, they call them sheep's head up there. And they are just, I hate them so much. Like, if you watch live or if you watch the show when it comes out, like, you'll see me just, like, in my hatred towards drum. And every single guy was, like, in the same boat. Because you see a fish on the graph and you got to pitch to it. But you know uh, most of the time they're drum. And you could you could tell the difference. Like, what there were plenty of times when I saw one and I knew that's a bass, but you, you see a drum and you're like, it's probably a drum, but how am I not going to pitch to something on the, on the screen, you know? So mm-hmm. you pitch to it and it, it gives that distinctive drum bite and you know, it's a drum, but you got to set the hook too. Cause how can you not set the hook when you get yeah. a bite? Yeah. <laughs> in case it's the one in a million. I heard one of the other guys talking about his live scope and how he could tell the difference between a drum and a smallmouth. Can you explain how that is, Josh? How, yes. how do you tell the difference? Is it the way it's positioned? Is it the size of it? What is it? Good question, dude. I mean, it's on in that situation, there were two things. How they're positioned, you're totally right. The smallmouth, believe it or not, in this case, a lot of times we're setting up higher up off the bottom. So, like, typically when you're bass, trying to tell a bass from a white bass or a crappie, the bass usually are the ones that are closer to the bottom. But in this case, a lot of the real tanks that we were catching – you would see up like five feet off the bottom, just a single fish by itself. And that, the drum were glued to the bottom. Uh, another thing was um, the density of the mark. The smallmouths are a lot more dense. I think they're more muscular and they're thicker than the drum. So like yep. the the mark would be, would glow a lot on the, I use the, uh, the copper template in, uh, for the color, the color template on my uh, live scope for Garmin. So the fish show up as, as like gray or white, basically. And uh, if it was kind of a grayish mark, odds are it's a drum. If it was a really, you know, um, vibrant white dot, they were typically smallmouth. So those were kind of the things. But but still, man, like you say that, but I'm not going to have a fish on my screen that I'm not pitching to. <laughs> You know, do you guys right. agree? No, you do I the same agree. thing. Heck yeah. yeah. I would chastise you if you were at that level where you're like, yeah, I'm not catching that. Like, I, I don't even need it. <laughs> well, you, you just don't know. You just right. never know. And I guarantee there were a couple times where I was like, it's probably drum. And then, but it's a small, it ends up being a small mouth. Yeah. Maybe you didn't get a perfect uh, view of the fish. You know what I mean? It wasn't dead center. That's why it's not producer. brighter. Uh huh. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, but those drum, dude, and uh, James Watson, you guys know James Watson, he's a, a character. He had one of those drum, the drum have, have you guys caught one? I know, I know you guys have. I I have out of St. Clair years ago, yeah. You, you know my answer, yeah. Continue. Yes, you have. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen Nick catch one uh, in an inopportune time. Uh they have these spines on their back, just like like on their their dorsal fin, just like bass do. But they're a little bit sharper and a little bit bigger. Uh-huh. And uh, James Watson had one. I don't know how it happened, dude, but he had one uh, go all the way into his finger, like all uh. the way, th- all the way through his finger, and break <laughs> off in his finger. What? God. Can you imagine? He had to go to the emergency <laughs> oh. room. He posted the X-rays, man. I can't uh, even imagine the pain, like, and just knowing that it's a drum, they're so nasty. Yeah. It's got to wow. have some toxins in it, like, like a catfish barb, right? You bet. <laughs> For sure. Wow. That's a, uh, so did that happen during the tournament? It happened in practice. And dude, okay. I think he went home. Like my apologies, James, if you fished the tournament, but I think he, I think he went home, dude, uh, after that. That's terrible. Well, yeah, it's kind of hard to bounce back from a projectile staying in your body. That's uh, it's yeah. kind of disturbing. Yeah, I think he's a uh, he's a marine man. He's a tough guy, but uh, dang, dude, just just horrible. But anyways, man, on the drum, uh, that's how the first day went. And uh, second day, dude, I went to the place I started the first day, and uh, instead of three boats being there, now there were seven, and uh, uh, there just weren't that many fish. It was, and I understood. It's not like it was a secret spot, and I get where the guys were going. Hopefully, they all ha- didn't have the wrong intentions there, you know, but uh, assuming they all had the right intentions, I got it, but it just sucked, man, because you got, and, you know, the day before, I was kind of the lucky guy to clean up on that point, point. Um, 
but the other guys maybe caught one or something early. But uh, I was on the other end of the stick the second day, man. I wasn't able to get one, and I watched everyone else catch one because there, there were eight fish that were pulled up on this thing that were ready to bite. But now there's seven guys instead of three splitting up those eight mm-hmm. fish. So everyone doesn't else nobody, caught one. Well, that's what that's exactly what happened, dude. And a couple of the guys that caught one never caught any more all day. You know, it just it just how it went, man. And um, so I left that spot with zero and I was like, man, I've I've got an uphill battle for the rest of the day because you, you catch one every hour or every two hours when you're fishing for the singles. And uh, I just ran. I mean, I ran like crazy, man, and fished everything I could. And ended up putting together like 17 and a half pounds. So I was very thankful for that, man. I was really, it's so easy to just catch one or two and uh, completely just fall out of the tournament. So uh, it was my my lowest day in the top three weights, but it, it, it got me through. I was in fourth after that day. Uh, the next day, and I'm still within a pound of the lead. The next day, things just went right again. A lot of the dudes that I was sharing water with did not make the cut, so there was a lot more room to move around on the different places, and uh, I had the same luck I did the first day. I pulled up, caught caught a couple big ones early, a couple more big ones through the day, and uh, had like 22-13 uh, or 22-11 or 22-14 that day and got jumped back in the lead. And I had one fish, the craziest fish of the day. It... Uh, it's like a four and a half pounder and it comes right to the boat. Like it, it, I set the hook and within 10 or 15 seconds, it's at the side of the boat. Not because I reeled it in. It just decided to go that way. And dude, this sucker, I don't know if you saw it, uh, on live, but this thing tries to jump into the boat. (laughs) He gets his body halfway in dude. And he's like, his head is in the boat, but, the rest of his body's hanging over the edge on the back deck. And I just, I didn't know what to do. So I just tried to pull it the rest of the way in with my rod. But when I did that, I forgot the cameraman was sitting there. So I oh. wrapped my line around the camera guy. And uh, oh. then the fish slides back into the lake, dude. And he's still hooked. But the line's on the camera guy. And the camera guy was like a cat. I can't believe how quickly he unwrapped himself. And, dude, I cussed on live. I don't know if they played that or if they were did able to really? Cuss. Yeah, they, I think I think they they waited to play it until they edited it, but I cussed, dude, because like I just couldn't help. I've never yeah. swore. I was just gonna say it's good to know you're human, man. <laughs> like I, I can't believe this. I, I couldn't do it. What did the cuss word start with? Yeah, oh, give us some just details. A, yeah, just ass, man. It was. It was I a gosh darn it. I didn't drop like, an f bomb, but uh, gosh dude, darn it, it. Was funny dude. It was, and, and uh, I just couldn't help it. And I end up landing the fish, dude. And afterwards, I'm like, I'm sorry for my language, blah, blah, blah. But I think they, they ended up cutting it out, thankfully, before they played it. So, uh, but it was a heck, it was a crazy fish catch, dude. Couldn't help myself. So the fish jumped, bounced off the back deck, and then just kind of was back in. And then you were able to stay tight on him enough and you fought him and got him in, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was like, God knows how frayed my line is from being yeah. wrapped up in the camera and on this guy, you know, but, uh, it worked out, man. I was really thankful for that and uh, went into the last day with the lead and, and uh, the wind kept, the forecast kept getting stronger and stronger. I mean, we had a, uh, the heaviest wind day was that last day. And I, I really kind of expected them to, to, to keep us in the bay and to limit us to just fish in the bay, but they let us go out. And I mean, I was, I was happy with it. Of course, I was going to get to go fish where I fished the last few days, but the wind just got so intense, you know, my best I had a lot of lot of areas, but my very best places were on the downwind side of this big giant shoal. And the shoal I was fishing was a little shallower than some other shoals. And what happened was that that powerful wind and current churned up a lot of the water on that shoal. And I I get to my place and the water is a little bit milky. Like instead of seeing three feet, you could only see one. Mm. And uh, that was a really like, dude, I fished around for 10 minutes and I'm like, man, I, I knew it already. I was like, this, this is not good. Like I was really hopeful that I'd pull up. It'd be a great morning. Like it had been the last couple of days and I locked the tournament down right then and there. And that wasn't happening. And uh. Uh, dude, now, I mean, th- that morning there were legitimate six footers. It was the roughest day and it was going to be really hard to move around. It's like, man. So I kept, you know, I fished around, I fished through all my best stuff on the shoal twice. And it's like 10 o'clock. I've got one two pounder in the boat and, uh, 
I need to even get rid of that. I need five, five fish to, to win. And, um, I was like, I can bounce around on all my one fish stuff, but it's going to be so hard to get from spot to spot. It's going to be hard to fish. And, uh, I don't think I could possibly catch five. I only had four hours to fish because I was going to have to leave an hour to get back. And, uh, I just decided, man, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to come in with one fish and let someone beat me by catching 10 pounds. So, right. um, and I don't want to finish 10th either. So I went, I ran all the way back in to, to go catch 10 to 13 pounds of largemouth to try to do it quickly. And uh, as I'm going in, I'm like, I'm going to regret this. I knew I was going to regret it as I was running in, but I didn't have anything else that made more sense to me staying out there. Um, there was another shoal that Lucas was fishing down the way, but he had been sitting on it all morning, you know, and it, it was, it was beat up and, uh, I hadn't caught him as good over there the last couple days. So I, I run in and I catch my limit in like an hour and I ran back out. Um, I was like, well, I got, I had two hours to fish and I was like, even if I'm out there for an hour or two, it gives me a chance to catch a, I could catch two five pounders and, uh, somehow pull it out. So I go out there and, uh, I catch one more three pounder and that's, that's it. So I ended up with like 12 pounds and, uh, Lucas, um, caught his fish. He ends up, I end up third place and Lucas Lucas caught 19 pounds. I really only needed 16 pounds that day. I had 12 and he caught the, you know, the only frustrating thing or the most frustrating thing for me was he ended up catching his fish off of a waypoint that I had as well. It was uh, underwater, and it was a spot. I fished the first two days, never caught one. So didn't go the third day. And of course didn't go the fourth day, but it was an underwater channel marker that got tipped over, I guess. And it was, uh, uh it was shaped like a T a big steel thing. And, um, with the way that the wind direction changed, it had just repositioned the fish and put them back on it when they had not been on mm. it for the last few days. And, uh, I, it's not like I was going to go over there. It really wasn't dude. I mean, how do you go back after you fished it three days in a row and never caught one? And it's not on the same shoal you're fishing or two days in a row. Didn't catch one. It's not on the same shoal I'm fishing. So it's not like I was like an inch away from going and didn't go, but it still is like, dang. You know, like I literally, I found that spot. I was going to fish it or I, I fished it the first two days and the tournament ends up getting one on it. If I had just gone over there, but, um, you know, it is what it is. It's not like it was that close in my decision-making process to do so. Man. Yeah. That's, that's but crazy. It, so go ahead. Where, where was, where was Wheeler? Was he, I mean, it looked like he was just bouncing around, huh? Yeah, I asked him uh, the last morning, and uh, he's just, man, he's just so uh, so ahead of the game. You know, we're all fishing stuff that's getting pressured, and he's like, oh. <laughs> he's like, oh, he's smiling because I'm fishing sneaky stuff. And he was. Like, I mean, <laughs> I never saw him, dude. And, uh, you know, he didn't go fish the main islands and the main shoals and stuff like that. He fished. He, what he would do is pick an area that looked like crap and idle and idle and idle and idle and idle and find the one rock that was in that crappy area and then go do it again and do it again. So, um, uh, he even went as far as the first day he caught him had like uh, 20 pounds. The second day he ran all the way to St. Clair and caught 18 pounds. And he only did that to, to rest his fish and, uh, uh stayed in the tournament and then had fresh fish, uh, for the next two days. So he, he fished a great tournament and only lost by an ounce. He it did. was Lucas Wheeler and I finished third. So, uh, both those guys had great tournaments and, and uh, you know, uh, stoked, stoked to see them do well as always, man. Yeah. So, so a couple questions I have, Josh, one, your, your drop shot leaders on the great lakes seem to be so much longer than other bodies of water. Do you agree or? Yeah. Good question. Dude. I always preach short leader and I know you, what's your normal leader fishing out West, man? 10 inches. Yeah. 10 inches max. I'll start. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. So yeah. So it that's... seems like you guys are doing a couple, a couple feet. Yeah, at least a couple feet. And, the, and two reasons for me, uh, the one one reason is to get it up off the bottom. You got so many yeah. uh, zebra mussels that you, you know, you don't want to risk uh, nicking up your line when you're fishing up a slope or up a rock or something like that. But another thing is that smallmouth are just such sight feeders 
that if you get it up off the bottom a little bit too, I think it gives more an opportunity to see it. Yeah, that makes sense. And they will swim the two feet for it. It's not like a lazy eight pound largemouth. You know what I mean? That's not going to swim two feet up for it. Uh, the smallmouth will for sure, dude. If they see it, they'll bite it. So That's, badass. Yeah, it really is. That's a good question. My next thing is more an ob- observation than anything is um, let's say this tournament was an MLF format versus a five fish limit. Um, the areas where the tournament was won, where you fished, where Wheeler fished, those wouldn't even play, would they? No. Especially if, yeah. Especially if you had the especially if you had the trailering option. I mean, St. Clair would have dominated where St. Clair was. There was a couple guys in the top ten from St. Clair, but it. I don't think you could have won because you didn't have the time to get there. Is that a good observation, or am I completely oh, yeah. off? That's a great point, man. And that's that's kind of cool to fish both formats too. That's what I really liked about it is. Uh, it's fun to do both, man, and, um, you know, it's, it's fun to go hunt for a few big ones, and then it's fun to just go try to bass their heads in as catches as many good ones as possible. So uh, that's a really good point, though, dude. I honestly don't know anyone that would have even competed uh, locally, you know, in that area if uh, if it would have been an MLF format for sure. You would have seen uh, St. Clair dominate. Or if you guys would have went out of St. Clair, the bags would have been much bigger because guys would have had more time there too, right? Huge. Here's the thing about St. Clair, and it was a, a part of the reason why I was scared to go. Every time I fished there, um, you, you'd whack them, but you don't have a rock pile that the fish are sitting on to, uh, to drive right to and whack them and get back. Like, they live where they live. It's completely flat, and it's just grass irregularities and areas with bait fish that they stop in and they live in areas man like you're not fishing a tiny little spot you're fishing an area the size of five football fields and you fish around and fish around and then you catch two or three and then you fish around and catch two or three more and then it's that process just repeats but then when the wind blows there's nothing to keep them there so if the bait fish move a half mile the fish are going to go with them so it was it was the risky part about running was it's going to be, if the fish move, you don't have time to relocate them. And uh, it does yeah. take time. And, and guys did good. I think there were two out of the top ten that fished St. Clair. Um, but for, yeah, every every guy that caught him in St. Clair, there were five guys where it just didn't work. And let me tell you guys about some of the carnage. Did you guys see any of the carnage, like the pictures of the boats or anything like that, from guys that made the I run? No, but I, they were talking about it, but they didn't. I didn't see anything. It was crazy. Like they'd be coming, like, you know, you'd be coming in for weigh-in and there'd be boats all around you coming in with literally trolling motor heads ripped off. Um, there, uh, the, the craziest one was a dude's console, the entire console ripped off his boat. Whoa. The, the whole console was laying in the floor of the boat. Wow. How did, how did he steer it to get it in? I think he had to get towed in, man. And, uh, he, he got towed in and, um, the service guys literally had to like go buy a bunch of, uh, stainless steel and stuff. And just, they rebuilt his entire mount or I guess like remounted his entire console when he fished the next day. Those guys were unbelievable about it, but, uh, yeah, dude, there's pictures of it floating around. I think the guy's name was Brandon Mosley who lost his console. I'm sure if you look him up on social media, you'll, you'll see the picture, but, uh, Dude, what kind it, of boats do you run? Can you say or not? Um, it wasn't a nitro. I'll you say know. that, dude. <laughs> it wasn't a nitro. It was said? not a nitro. No. Okay. No. Right. Uh, okay. Dude, yeah. was that like from like impact or a wave coming over? Like, how do you even do that? That's a. Who knows? It could be the repetitive impact, or it could be one. Like, it'll get you, dude. It'll it'll sneak up on you. You'll go for like a mile or two in these waves and really think you. You're like, okay, I haven't had one really hard bang yet. You know, I'm taking my time. It's all good. And then there'll just be one wave that's totally different than all the others. And it's like the bottom just, you crawl over one wave and then the bottom just falls out. And uh, bam, you know, you, you hit that one. And that's, that's in my experience, that's how you break stuff. But so it could be that one rogue wave or it could just be that repetitive, you know, nonstop beating for 80 yeah. or 90 miles, you know? Right. Wow, that's nuts. Dude. Josh, have you seen the replay of the the 
and I don't even know if there is a replay of it, but I was watching you in live, and you're like, oh, look at that wave. Look at that wave. Do you remember that situation? I remember or... saying that, but I didn't see the replay. How big did, <laughs> did the camera do it justice, man? Oh, dude, it was like, I'm like, oh, my goodness. And you had one that just like it was going to come right over the boat, and you're just fishing. You're not running in that. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's, it, that's, a, that's another thing, too, that um, I noticed in the angler interviews how tired everyone looked. I mean, it's like, it's got to take everything you have to fish for eight days like that, right? You had four days of practice too. Yeah, it was draining, dude. It was, it was really draining yeah. and I'm not sitting here complaining. It just is, you know, you're balancing yourself no. all day. So like you're, you got your seat, but you're the entire day. It's like riding a, riding a, uh, a, ro- a horse uh, in a rodeo, like doing the Brett height, dude, riding it in a Buffalo chip. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> only less liquored up so it's not even exactly, you know, flexible <laughs> not to get off topic but did you see brett height's uh social media post where he had to punch a hole in a wall to get out oh yeah post? we gotta ask him what about is that, that? About? he had to have been an uh, well yeah it was clearly in a hotel right <laughs> i wish he would have explained it a little better but yeah anyhow <laughs> Who doesn't so take their the phone way. in the bathroom? Hilarious, dude. Yeah, he, he obviously was desperate. No phone or anything. He had to punch out of the bathroom. I didn't. I'm, I'm completely clueless. He just needed toilet paper that bad. Is that why he was punching holes to get out of the bathroom? He locked himself He locked himself in the bathroom and yeah, had to punch through the door to uh, get around and unlock it. Hilarious. Oh, man. We need to get him on the podcast again just for that little tidbit there. No we kidding. Need, we need the story. And, hey, what kind of bathroom locks from the outside? Yeah, a no, scary no, one. No kidding. Hotels that you probably shouldn't be at. <laughs> no kidding, Right. Dude. Seriously. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was so gnarly, man. That no, that's yeah. cool. One Dude, I was seeing guys like Alton Jones Jr., great guy, super cool guy, hilarious. Uh Dude, every morning he was making the run, and he was probably the guy that did the best making the run. But every morning before takeoff, he looked like he was about to throw up. He was so nervous. I'm like, nope. dude, are you okay? I asked him. I was like, you all right? He's like, dude, I'm just nervous, bro. You know, he's just wow. he's getting ready to embark on the craziest run you could ever make as a bass fisherman. I mean, dude, you get out there in the middle and you don't see shore for freaking, you know, an hour, and, and you're just running, following your GPS through these monster waves, you know, and uh, it makes me think of that uh, old movie, and it, it uh, what was it called? The Perfect Storm. Do you remember that ancient movie? I think it was like oh, the yeah. second movie. Dude, that's all I can think of is that final wave when they just tip over backwards. <laughs> Flips them. Yeah. It's just over. God, you yeah, can I do it in a bass boat. Yeah. It, it, imagine. Josh, oh, go ahead, Rob. The guy that finished, I think it was fourth right behind you, Scott Dobson. He's from that area, right? He is the uh, OG. He is the OG of that area, man. Yep. He's yeah, the that, John that Murray last, of that area. <laughs> yeah. That last day he kept saying how tired and beat up he was, which I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm not going to admit that on live, but I mean, they did an interview with him and dude, he had like bags and the guy's a super fit guy. Like for him, yes. he's like my age, but he's, he's lean and it looks like he stays in good shape, but he was absolutely wrecked. And I mean, that just shows how he's used to that place and it still takes a toll on a guy like that. So yeah, it's, it's uh, it, not your, not your everyday bass tournament. That's for sure. It was cool for that. Like you're right, dude. It, it was so unique because there was such, so many options on where you could go. And, and obviously with the Canadian border being closed, it stunk, but it, it made, it made the whole storyline, man. I mean, yeah, you'll probably, you'll never see guys making that run again, dude. It was, it was crazy. Nope. It was so far that, like, during practice, you had guys that had, like, booked rooms or houses in Erie, and that's where, because that's where, or, or in Sandusky, because that's where the tournament's going out of and stuff, and uh, they, they go out the first day of practice and don't catch them or whatever, and, dude, they were packing their bags and going and driving the two hours by car to St. Clair and getting hotels over there, because it was too far to drive back and forth every day. Wow. Yep. Yep. Gnarly. Yep. Uh, that's a big body of water to, to be available to turn. And when you when you have a body of water that big, guys are going to utilize the entire thing. It's just yeah. the nature of bass fishing. So you're yeah, right. It's pretty cool. It's fun to watch. Fun to watch on live, and uh, 
and not really a situation I'd want to be in personally, but I hear you. Well, I'll tell you what, though, it was fun. I mean, everyone's complaining, but dude, you know, and of course I had a good tournament, so I'm going to say that, but I, I, it's just, uh, it's something that I hope never goes away or those tournaments like that, man, because yeah. they are gnarly yeah, and they're a heck of a test. And, and dude, the payoff, I told Nick this, like the payoff is so huge. Like, dude, you go through all that and you're fishing in six footers and stuff. But dude, when you catch a five pound smallie, it is, uh, there's nothing like it, dude. It's just, uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. The yeah. adrenaline's got to be pumping like nothing. It's crazy. Yeah. It's fun. Uh, but one, uh, so that's the wrap up, man. It was a fun tournament. Thank, thanks for watching and thanks for the listeners too for all the support. I had a ton of, uh, ton of messages and and replies and stuff and texts just, uh, you know, talking about the tournament, saying they were looking forward to hearing about it. So thanks again for for all that and all the positive feedback. Um, and I drove home the last couple of days. One crazy thing I wanted to see if you guys have done this drive. I know you probably have. It is crazy driving down the 87. Uh, now that everything's been burnt up dude it's it's wild looking have you have you done that drive i haven't I have, it was like an apocalyptic wasteland it's terrible like uh mount ord is a is a high spot that you go over here in arizona and um that thing has been just so thick and plush with trees and beautiful and that fire took every last stick out of there i mean it's just a mud uh, slick now yeah it's, black. it's pretty rough looking if we get some rain, I mean, it'll be interesting this winter. If we have a wet winter, that thing is going to be like super green. It's going to be gorgeous, but you know, then it'll die again as, as it gets hot. But, uh, <laughs> it's on fire again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a long time before that's back to, well, it'll never be back to what it was, but it'll, uh, it'll be some really good deer hunt when it, when it grows back a little bit though. So that's a good point. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it is it's, good. Silver it looks it looks like a looks like the moon right now it's crazy and then yeah you get down you you turn uh on bush highway and then it's burnt on the right side coming down through there man so i was like geez this is i'm I'm gone for a couple months and this is what it's like when i get back crap man the lousiest speaking of fires last night we had our one of our biggest monsoon storms and uh heard a real hard lightning crack and, and then i heard fire trucks going by the house and this morning I got up early to go hike and uh, about a mile down the road, there's some people have a bunch of palm trees out in front of their house and they're just scorched. Oh, so crazy, dude. You don't expect that in town. No, you don't, but it right on. Happens. So, yeah. Well, uh, well we had a bunch of Josh. That's, that's awesome. It was fun to watch you in that tournament. So, Thanks, dude. Thanks for watching, man. And uh, yeah, we're uh, we've got a few more tournaments throughout the fall, but it's going to slow down quite a bit. So looking forward to uh, being at home, getting out fishing again with you guys and uh, just getting back uh, into the podcast thing again. We've got a bunch of guests that we're uh, talking to and uh, lining up and um, we've got some good stuff coming up. So this was a good kind of just a recap episode. Uh, We had other stuff written down um, and I will save it for next episode. So unfortunately, Nick, you don't get to talk about your uh, vast fishing experience in the uh in the north quite yet but we'll be ready for it next week man in the gray islands of wyoming exactly (laughs) oh man that's uh that's one of our favorite inside jokes dude i i I will forever be indebted to you josh for introducing me to uh um, and down eastbound and down man yeah the the majestic (laughs) of wyoming i uh i can't wait to just rain down on you with all my vast experiences next episode you're going to have, dude, you are going to have some cool stories coming up and, uh, Rob, and, uh, we've got more guide stories coming up. I've actually got a couple guides in the pipe to uh, come on and give some guide stories. So, um, and as always for listeners, feel free to give us uh, any feedback. If you've got a guest you'd like to hear from, if yeah. you've got topic, uh, we're, we're all in, um, we're going to try to be a little bit more interactive now that, you know, we're not having a, I'm not traveling all over the place having to do this remotely. I can put a little more time into this. So uh, thank you guys for listening. And you guys have anything else to uh, to say before we roll? Dude, I'll piggyback on that. That's a great thought to the listeners. Yeah, hook us up with ideas of uh, guests that you want to hear from. That uh, that would be wonderful input for us. We definitely would appreciate that. Heck yeah. Yeah, I agree. You guys said it all. So. 
Cool, man. Well, congrats again, Josh. Glad you made it home safe, man. Let uh, let your compartments dry out. Before we went on the air, you were telling me that you had like inches of standing water in some of your compartments and uh, you're going to need to pick up like Snap-on as a sponsor because a lot of your tools got rotted out. So hopefully yeah. that 119 degree Josh, dry desert heat will fix Josh, it. Josh doesn't have tools. <laughs> I don't know how to use them, but I have. Well, dude, I'll send you a picture of this <laughs> rusted mess I've got. Uh, dude, I'll... T- I'm an idiot. Typically what I'll do is in my back compartments, like I will drill a hole in the bottom that way they can drain if they ever get water. But there was water everywhere. Of course, after this, after this tournament, you know, there's water coming over the boat constantly. And uh, yeah, I got home and I had two inches of standing water in my back two compartments, man. So it uh, ruined about, uh, I don't know, dude, 200 jigs and uh, a bunch of, a bunch of tools, man. Man, well, dude, just leave it in your driveway this afternoon, and uh, that will be as dry as a, a carcass in the desert by the end of the day. It's <laughs> a good point. It's a great point. You'll be able to hear the sizzle. It'll just be like that wisping sound of evaporation. <laughs> You're not kidding either, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, right, guys, well uh, good up, man. Right on, guys. We'll, we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks. Right on. See you.